Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. It's a doubleheader here in Cleveland, so we've got twice the action to talk about, twice the storylines. The finals from Progressive Field. Game one, it's the White Sox eight, the Indians six. Game two, it's the Indians three, the White Sox one. It is also the final game of May, which means we can have a chance to compare and see how this baseball team is doing from April to May. Are things getting better? Are things getting worse? They've still got a winning record. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And I got to say, it was a nice day of baseball yesterday. The games were exciting. Uh, The pitching was great. Uh, It was a fun day, and even though we lost the first one in extra innings, it was still a fun baseball game, and let's be honest, I mean, you can't win every game, but at least they can be entertaining, right? Facing Rodon, the guy who no-hit us earlier in the season, we put up a really good fight in game one, and then the pitching was just fantastic in game two. Hey, before we get into the storylines, I want to give a shout-out to our listeners in Germany, because... uh, I was checking on some of the Apple podcast rankings, and our show, Cleveland Baseball Mornings, is actually ranked in the top 200 baseball podcasts in Germany, which is pretty cool. I think we've popped up on the U.S. charts before, but uh, yeah, so shout out to our listeners in Germany. Uh, Thanks for getting the show up on the rankings there, and we actually have tons of international listeners. Uh, We've got listeners in the U.K., Japan, Canada, France, India, Taiwan, Ireland, Germany, Romania, South Korea, Denmark, Netherlands, Australia, Brazil, Italy, Thailand, Greece, Israel, Colombia, and Czech Republic. So shout out to all our international listeners. I would actually love to know, are you just a bunch of transplanted Clevelanders? Are you people that uh, like baseball and you know decided to make the Indians your team and then found our podcast? I'd love to know what your connection is to Cleveland Indians baseball. Hit me up at uh, Davey Barris. Oh, I'm sorry. You hit me up at, at on Twitter at Davey Barris and hit up the email address, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Uh, and yeah, let me know. Let me know how, what your connection is, what your connection is to Cleveland Indians baseball. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Speaking of that, if you have a chance, it's a new month. Let's take another stab at this. If you're an Apple listener, go ahead and give the show a rating and a review. We have gotten all five-star reviews, which is awesome, but we haven't gotten one in a while. So I'd really appreciate it. Take a few seconds this morning. Go ahead. Click five stars if you think the show deserves it. Leave a rating if you've got a minute or two or uh, leave a review if you've got a minute or two. It helps the show grow. I would really appreciate it. Let's see if we can get a little spike in those numbers and get this show popping for the month of June. Thank you to everybody listening. I'm glad you spend your mornings, afternoons, cutting the grass, walking the dog, whatever you do, your drive home from work with Cleveland Baseball Mornings. All right, let's get into those storylines because there's a lot to talk about here. The big storyline of the day I think the Indians pitching is better than the White Sox pitching still. I think that's what the games yesterday showed us. It's close. It is close. But the Indians really, really were pitching well yesterday. Um, I mean, even though the the White Sox win that game 8-6, that game won, we actually out-hit them 
10 to 6. And then in game two, it was 7 to 7 on the hits. We come out on top because our bullpen does a fantastic job of stringing out. Uh, stringing out some of those hits and working out of things. We were also loading up on the strikeouts. Uh, in game one, uh, they struck us out 10 times. We struck them out 12, 13, 14 times. And we limited the hard hit balls. We hard hit them 14 times in game one. They hard hit us seven times in game one. Now, they do come out on top because they get to check in the extra inning. But uh, Tristan McKenzie in this game, 10 strikeouts plus 8 strikeouts in a row. Uh, Who did he knock down in this one? I want to go back through it. It starts with Zach Collins. Um, No, it doesn't. It doesn't start with Zach Collins. It starts with uh, Jose Abreu in the third. Strikes him out to end uh, that inning. Then gets Jermaine Mercedes, Adam Eden, and Lurie Garcia in the fourth. Then gets Zach Collins, and then gets Nick Madrigal, then gets Tim Anderson to tie Corey Kluber with seven strikeouts in a row. Kluber also did it against the White Sox, and then gets Jake Lamb looking to start the sixth. And yeah, it was a pretty fair strike zone for uh, for Tristan McKenzie. But when you start locking in and you start striking out guys, you're going to start getting the benefit of the doubt like that. We've seen it hundreds of times with great pitchers where they get the calls because they're good uh, and they know how to establish a strike zone. And it was working with the high fastball and the curveball. It was really, really working for Tristan McKenzie uh, yesterday. So he sets the team record with eight strikeouts in a row. Uh, He was throwing the fastball, the curve, and the slider, really relying on the fastball, threw it 55 times, 20 curveballs, 11 sliders. His CSW on the day was 33%, with both the fastball and the curveball in the 30% range. Uh, And yeah, 12 called strikes on that fastball, just painting with that fastball. And uh, you got 11 whiffs total on 37 swings. That's good for 30%. So yeah, it was a really, really good day. Uh, for Tristan McKenzie, except except for one inning, except for one bad inning. And the fact that he was able to do all this, all these strikeouts after that bad inning, he didn't fall apart this time. Uh, yes, a walk did kind of kick things off, you know, start this whole thing in the second inning. So Zach Collins comes up with the bases loaded and McKenzie misses his spot here. This is one thing that you'll see when a guy gets a big extra base hit. Look at where the catcher is set up. Rene Rivera, who called a really great game for Tristan McKenzie. I think that's a combination you're going to see a lot. If McKenzie's in there, Rivera is going to be his catcher because the veteran really knows how to handle the young pitcher. And uh, he was set up for a fastball that looked like he wanted to down it away. Instead, he throws it in. It's down and in, but in the strike zone. And Collins is able to turn on it, line it down the first base line. Two runs come across the score. And then a third run comes across the score because Cesar Hernandez got a little bit lazy out there uh, as the cutoff man. He kind of drops the cutoff throw, and it allows Garcia to scramble home and score. He almost plays chicken with him at that point because he looks at him and takes his time picking up the ball, and Garcia says, fine, I'm going. If you're going to be lazy out there, I'm going. 
And uh, Hernandez just throws really wide of home plate. If he throws a strike to home plate, he's out. But he doesn't. I mean, they're Major League Baseball players. You expect them to be able to throw a strike to the plate, to be able to throw a strike to any base on the field. And he just doesn't. And Garcia comes across and makes it a three-run double and uh, puts Tristan McKenzie in a bit of a hole. So then they score one more this inning. Bad defense. This is actually the second storyline. Defense really hurts them in this game. So you have the drop ball from Cesar Hernandez on the cutoff that allows that run to score. Then they actually pick off Tim Anderson. With a runner on third, they pick off Tim Anderson. And in the rundown, they allow... Uh, they allow Zach Collins to come in and score. He's able to score before they can tag out Tim Anderson. And that's a situation where you have to. And while you're in the rundown, you have to constantly be looking back the runner at third base. You can run at somebody and still look the runner back. It's not like they can run circles around you. There's not very far they can go once they establish a base path. Remember, we learned about this a few days ago. Once you establish that base path, that's what you're on. So they should have been looking Zach Collins back. Instead, they get so caught up with picking off Tim Anderson, Zach Collins is able to come home and score. So defense, twice. They cost them two runs in this inning. They go as earned runs against Tristan McKenzie, but I don't know if they should because both of these are kind of bonehead defensive plays that give the White Sox two extra runs in this big four-run second inning for them. But McKenzie is obviously able to bear down. And the pitching, game two, while we're talking storylines, we're going to talk across both games. Cal Quantrill was also excellent. He goes three and two-thirds, four hits, one earned run, no walks from Quantrill, five strikeouts on 60 pitches. He was only a hard hit three times. Uh, It was a little bit weaker of a game uh, in game two, obviously. Maybe the guys got a little bit tired. But there were only four hard-hit balls for the Indians and only five hard-hit balls for the White Sox in Game 2. But Quantrill is able to outduel the rookie, Jimmy Lambert, who pitched fair but gave up seven hits, three runs, one walk, and four strikeouts, also in three and two-thirds. Uh, and obviously gives up the big home run to Jose Ramirez that puts the Indians up for good in that game. So Quantrill was also pitching fantastic. He took the same approach. They said he was taking the same approach that he was using in the bullpen, and the sinker was really working for him. He threw it 26 times, had a 38% CSW on the sinker, four whiffs on 11 swings, plus six called strikes, only a 30% CSW on the day, so not pounding the strike zone, but definitely got the strikeouts when it counted. And let's see, what was he using to get those strikeouts? Heading down to Quantrill here. It looks like he was using the sinker on the outside edge a ton to get those strikeouts. Um, Threw a slider low to get one strikeout. Another slider and then a changeup on the left side of the plate. So we love seeing when the sliders go one way and the changeups go another way. It seems to lead to success. So two sinkers, two sliders, and a changeup for Quantrill to get those strikeouts. So yeah, that's the main storyline, the Indians pitching was better than the White Sox pitching on this day, it felt like. It felt like. All right, uh, speaking of those errors, there's one more we got to talk about, one more defensive, boneheaded defensive play, because the Indians have a chance to get out of things in the sixth inning. So after Tristan McKenzie gets his eighth strikeout at Jake Lamb, he gives up a single to Johan Moncada. 
Terry Francona comes out to get him, and it's a you know a standing ovation for McKenzie. It was a great job by him. Brian Shaw comes in next, and on a wild pitch, Johan Moncada is able to go up to second. Uh, on another wild pitch, after Jose Abreu walks, on another wild pitch, he goes up to third. So Shaw is really giving Moncada a chance to move around the bases here. However, there's still one out. There's runners at the corner, and he gets your, your mean Mercedes to ground out to Cesar Hernandez. Now, Cesar Hernandez has a chance to turn a really easy double play, but Abreu is a big dude, and on his flip to, uh, to Ahmed Rosario covering second base, it bounces off Jose Abreu's head and goes out into left field. It allows Yohan Moncada to score, and everybody is safe. And with your mean Mercedes running, it should have been an easy double play. It should have been an inning-ending double play. And the Indians score the next inning. They could have gone into that seventh inning with the lead. But instead, instead, they end up having to tie the game in the sixth inning. So once again, defense. That's three defensive plays that the Indians really let down their pitching in game one. And I think gave it to the White Sox. I mean, they... They gave a lot of runs to the White Sox. The White Sox eventually win it in extra innings on their own, right? They get to start with Billy Hamilton on second, which is a cheat code. Jose Abreu eventually, of course he steals third eventually. Uh, Jose Abreu brings him in with a sack fly. And then Yermin Mercedes walks and Adam Eden hits a two-run home run off an elevated fastball that was still in the strike zone from uh, James Karinchek and... uh, puts it out into the bullpens in right center field to really blow that thing wide open at that point. Man, at this point in the sixth inning, if they're able to get out of that, if they're able to turn that double play, that really, really changes the perceptions of this game because they put together a really great rally in that sixth inning. Uh, Owen Miller starts it with a strikeout. Josh Naylor singles. Yu Chang strikes out. Rene Rivera singles, Bradley Zimmer singles, and brings in that run. And Bradley Zimmer's single was not your typical single. In the next game, in game two, they have the same kind of rally with three singles in a row. And Bradley Zimmer is able to drive in the first run of the game with a nice single up the middle, a really beautiful swing. This one, he uses his speed, and we used our speed a lot. Bradley Zimmer uh, grounds to shortstop. And he's able to beat out a weak hit ball to shortstop. I mean, the exit velocity on this is only 72.2 miles per hour. It only went 30 feet from home plate. It has an expected batting average of 120. And he just exploded out of the batter's box and is able to beat. It wasn't even close. It's not even like the White Sox had to challenge it and go to review. He was safe. Everyone in the ballpark knew he just beat this thing out. And I'm sure the White Sox defenders were like, what the, what the heck just happened? This guy just beat out a ground ball to shortstop and allowed the game-tying run to come in and score. And so, yeah, uh, the, Indians, uh, the Indians used speed all, twice in this first game. Um, and both times it was Josh Naylor scoring. Uh, they also had the play in the, uh, in the fourth inning, uh, this also tied the game, I believe, in the fourth inning. Yes, it did, because Cesar Hernandez's second home run was the third run in the third. By the way, Cesar Hernandez had two home runs in this game. 
and Ahmed Rosario. They led off with two home runs. Uh, it almost gets buried in the storylines because so much else happened in this game. So in that fourth inning, Josh Naylor singles with uh, with two outs. Josh Naylor singles. And then Yu Chang is able to rope a double, 103.2 mile per hour exit velocity over Adam Eden's head in right field. It one hops the wall and Josh Naylor is off to the races again. And we saw this. Was this was this yesterday or was this just two days ago in the Blue Jays game where Josh Naylor was trying to score from first. He was running as hard as he could and he's just not fast enough and he gets thrown out at the plate. Well, this time he wasn't going to let it happen. Josh Naylor, you got to love him. You have to love him. And he's chugging around third base. He's running as hard as he can. And this time, he beats out the throw to home. And he scores the game-tying run there in the fourth inning. So that's my last storyline kind of from game one. The speed has kept the Indians in the game. Uh, it just wasn't enough. The fielding errors were too much. And the White Sox are able to take game one. Now, game two is a pretty simple game here. Uh, Lambert's changeup was actually pretty good. Um, that was one of his go-to pitches. Let's look at his CSW. Yeah, he threw the changeup 28 times and the fastball 28 times. Those were his top two pitches. Uh, I guess the CSW on his changeup was only 18%, but he was able to use it to get some strikeouts. I know that. I can, I can guarantee you that because he started off the game striking out Cesar Hernandez with the changeup. He's also able to get Josh Naylor with the changeup. Uh, his other strikeouts came on fastballs. So I thought his changeup was pretty decent. I guess not looking at the CSW. The CSW is telling me it's an 18%. Only three whiffs on 13 swings. But uh, they weren't able to put many in play. They fouled off seven and they put three in place. So maybe it was good. I mean, if uh, if you can't hit it straight, then uh, it's at least working, right? It's still getting you strikes even if the CSW isn't too high on it. But... It all came to an end when he threw one to Jose Ramirez, and he threw one to Jose Ramirez that was in a very, very hittable spot. It was right at the belly, uh, out over the plate, and Jose Ramirez made him pay for throwing one too many changeups on the day, and he cranks a two-run home run that also brings an Ahmed Rosario score, and I mean, that was the game for the Indians offensively. They did get a lot of hits. In fact, seven hits spread out amongst seven players. The only ones not to get a hitting game to were Cesar Hernandez and Josh Naylor. Although Naylor did walk, so he got himself on base. Uh, but yeah, Harold Ramirez, Jake Bauer, Bradley Zimmer, even Austin Hedges had a hit. By the way, Bradley Zimmer is hitting 333 with an 833 OPS. It's a very small sample size, but it's, a, it's at least good to see that Bradley Zimmer is finding some, you know, making some contact and hitting some things now that he's back up here with us. Um, so yeah, that one changeup against Jose Ramirez, and it's so nice to see Jose Ramirez doing that. Uh, you know, the batting average isn't sparkling. The OPS is 870. Very, very good, you know, respectable OPS. 253 the batting average. He is in contention for the league lead in home runs, and I'm sure if I pulled up the, the stats, the charts, he'd be in the contention for the league lead in other things. But he is getting it done. He's staying consistent early, right? He's not having one of those seasons where he slumps for like three months and then he's just godly on another level for three months. Uh, he's staying pretty consistent this season, which is what we need from him because there's not a lot of consistency around him. 
And then the Indians' bullpen. The Indians' bullpen was absolutely fantastic, and it's my last storyline. And I know we're going a little long this episode, but hey, when you got two games to talk about, there is a ton to talk about. The Indians' bullpen in Game 2, and it's not... Uh, you know, it's not the big names out of the Indians bullpen. Uh, it is classe at the end, but you know, obviously Shaw and Karen check and Sandlin actually had a good clean inning in the uh, first game. Uh, it's Kyle Nelson coming in with leaf of Quantrill. He goes, uh, to, uh, two thirds of an inning does walk somebody, but he gets out of it for Quantrill. And this is what we're going to see these relievers coming in and getting out of things, Right getting out of situations. So he comes in in that third inning, or I'm sorry, in that fourth inning, um, comes in and gets uh, Adam Eden to fly out to end things. Uh, And then a situation where runners are on in the fifth inning again. And let's flip over to the game summary from that game. He does walk Jake Lamb to start the inning. Gets Danny Mendick to pop out to Cesar Hernandez. Then they bring in Nick Wickren. Gives up the single to Billy Hamilton to start things. So now Wickren is in a situation here. He's got runners at first and second. And he bears down. He strikes out Nick Madrigal. And then he strikes out Yasmani Grandal to get out of it. And he is pumped up. So then in the sixth inning, Phil Mating comes in. Gives up a leadoff double to Johan Moncada. All right, now he's in real situation here. We still got the 3-1 lead, but a leadoff double. Is this a big rally about to start in the sixth inning for the White Sox? Nope. He strikes out Jose Abreu swinging. Gets your, your mean Mercedes to pop out to Jake Bowers in foul territory. And I think that was a hell of an at-bat. Let's go to this actual at-bat and look at the at-bat against your mean Mercedes. And uh, I believe he threw a ton of pitches in this at-bat. Yeah, it's an eight-pitch at-bat. After two swinging strikes on a cutter and a four-seam fastball, he fouls off the next four pitches in a row before finally looking at a fastball way outside and then pops up a slider down and away uh, in foul territory. So he got him to foul off five pitches in that at-bat and just kept fighting. Eight pitches, only one ball. He just kept battling with high fastballs, with things away. It was a great a great battle between Mercedes and Phil Maiden. And then he gets Adam Eden to strike out to end things. So after giving the leadoff double to start things, he's able to get him, and he finally gets him on a curveball, a swinging strike on a curveball down in the zone to get out of it. And, you know, CSW is a little bit strange for relievers, Um but it's a 36% CSW for Phil Maiden. And uh, only two balls are put in play against him. I guess the pop-out foul is considered an in-play. Um, but yeah, he threw one curveball that got hit for the double. He threw a second curveball, and that was the one that got him out of the inning that strikes out Adam Eden. Then in the seventh inning, the same situation, a leadoff hit against Emmanuel Classe, who comes in for the save. A leadoff hit from Jake Lamb, but then he bears down, and he gets Lurie Garcia swinging, he gets Billy Hamilton swinging, and he gets Nick Madrigal swinging, and his CSW was at 70%. He was at 57% on his cutter, and he was at 100% with his slider. He threw only 10 pitches to get 
Dude, 10 pitches gave up a single and then three strikeouts. Does that mean, let's go to the actual matchups against him. Does that mean he struck out all three hitters on, uh, on three pitches? The first cutter to Jake Lamb was right down the middle, and he lined it back up the middle for a hit. Then he gets Lurie Garcia swinging on three cutters that were all inside off the plate. 99, 99.8, 100.3. All these pitches are off the plate. He could have taken all three. Instead, he swings over all of them. Then Billy Hamilton, two cutters. These were both on the inside edge. These were the strike. And then finally, a slider to get the strikeout. And then Nick Madrigal goes uh, cutter at 99.3, slider for a called strike, and then slider in the dirt, a swinging strike to end it. So he did. Oh, son of a gun, he did. Ten pitches after giving up the single, nine pitches, nine strikes. It's nearly an immaculate inning. I mean, it's one pitch. One, if you will, you know, if you ignore that one pitch to start the inning, it's nearly a immaculate inning for Emmanuel Clause to get the save. I did not realize that watching the game. That is incredible. All right, so there's your storylines. The Indians split with the White Sox. Uh, and uh, I think they stay three and a half games back. They, uh, yeah, they do. They finish May at 29 and 24. And if I told you the Indians were going to finish May at 29 and 24, You'd probably have signed up for that back in March, wouldn't you? That's that's a fair record. Now, let's look at how things have gone. April and March, you know, they com- combine that as one month and May. Uh, looking at the batting stats for the Indians, they are hitting slightly better in May than they were in April. Now, they've played five more games. They played 29 games in May. They only played 24 games in April. I'm guessing because of off days and rainouts. So, they've hit the same amount of home runs. So, the home runs have trailed off a little bit. 31 home runs in April, 31 in May. They've definitely hit more doubles, though. 34 doubles in April, 43 doubles in May. Same amount of triples. Four triples in both months. So, their OPS is a little bit higher. Their slugging is slightly higher. Um, Their batting average is slightly higher. They were 206 hitters in April. They're 226 hitters in May. It ain't great, but at least it's getting better. Their OPS climbs from 662 in April to 681 in May. And uh, their OPS compared, OPS plus uh, against the rest of the league, they were at an 89 OPS plus, where league average is set to 100. They're up to 91 OPS plus. So they are moving up a little bit against the rest of the league. Um, So yeah, they had... uh, they had more runs scored. They had more RBIs in May. Now it's hard to judge with the five extra games. But, you know, they did score, let's see here, uh, 16 more runs uh, for the month of May. So we'll see how this continues to go, um, you know, as the months go on. Are they getting better or are they getting worse? Looking at the pitching, and what's nice is they've really gotten this broken down by starter and reliever. What's a little bit concerning is that the pitching has also gotten a little bit worse in May. As the hitting has gotten a little better, the pitching has gotten a little bit worse. Um, The ERA for the starters has climbed from 440 to 484. The uh, ERA for the relievers has climbed from 261 to 305. Not great. Not 
not super great. Um, the whip walks hits per inning pitch again is climbing. For the starters, it went from 1.16 to 1.38. So climb 0.2 there on the whip. For the relievers, it has also climbed not as much, 1.14, and it's climbed to 1.27. So that's climbing a little bit. What's really concerning for me is that the uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio is falling, which means they're walking more hitters because they're striking out. Actually, the starters are striking out a little less. The relievers are striking out a little more when it comes to strikeouts per nine, but the strikeouts per walk are falling. They were at 3.3 strikeouts per walk for the starters. They're down to 2.22 strikeouts per walk. The relievers in April were at 2.71 strikeouts per walk. They're now down to 2.27 strikeouts per walk. So that is a little bit concerning. The pitching is did a little bit worse in the month of May than they did in the month of April, and the hitters have started to find a little bit of a groove and get a little bit better. A li- we could take a little bit better. If we can keep climbing by small increments and getting this offense going, there's some things that are really settling down, right? Ahmed Rosario is uh, is really settling down. Uh, as that number two hitter, he's, he's doing okay. He's 252. He's got a 698 OPS. He's doing better than Francisco Lindor. I know that Lindor's ceiling... We all know that Lindor's ceiling is probably higher than Ahmed Rosario, at least anything Ahmed Rosario has shown. We've seen the ceiling for Francisco Lindor, and it's pretty darn high. But right now, for these two months, one guy is getting paid a couple million, one guy is getting paid in a ton of millions of dollars. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is a better shortstop right now than Francisco Lindor. It, it's he even made some really good defensive plays lately. Um, it's bizarre. It is something that we are going to talk about for the next what ten years, however long that contract that Lindor signed with the Mets, you know, goes for. It's something we will continue to talk about. Is Ahmed Rosario Rosario going to be the long term shortstop? Who knows? You know, Andres Jimenez could come back up. Uh, we have all those young guys down there. Uh, Arias, the guy we got from uh, the San Diego Padres, there's a ton of young shortstops coming. So, I mean, where Ahmed Rosario is long-term with the Indians, I think he's only got one year of arbitration left. Um, You know, so is a guy here that's just here for two seasons and then becomes a journeyman, uh, you know, player around MLB baseball. Nobody knows, but we will be a judging Francisco Lindor against whoever is at shortstop for the Indians for the next 10 years or so. And right now, uh, in the 2021 season, the Indians shortstop is better than the Mets shortstop. And that's all we can say. And it's the numbers. It's the numbers. And the numbers don't lie. Uh, But yeah, Josh Naylor is getting pretty consistent. He's also hitting 250. Harold Ramirez has given us a little bit of consistency, something in the outfield. He's hitting 244 with a 690 OPS. These aren't sparkling numbers, okay? They're not all-star numbers, but they're at least serviceable numbers. Eddie Rosario is starting to warm up. Uh, he's up to 232, but we've seen lately that he's starting to warm up. So, And so is Cesar Hernandez, right? He was in the 100s. Now he's up to 216. So obviously two home runs yesterday. I'd say he's warming up. So things are getting a little bit better offensively for the Indians. Um, and these young pitchers, we're going to figure things out. They are going to. I am not as concerned 
with the pitching as some of the beat reporters, some of Indians Twitter is. I'm not. I think Quantrill seems like he's really figuring it out, taking the approach of a reliever into his starts and just going out there and making outs. And however long he lasts in the game is fine, as long as he's making outs. Tristan McKenzie seems to be working really well with Rene Rivera. One bad inning for McKenzie. Uh, Henches has been hot and cold. Um, so, yeah, so uh, there's a lot of things to still be hopeful about for this Indians team. They are frustrating. They are a really frustrating team uh, because it seems like we don't just put people away, right? It's been a long time since we've had a game, it feels like, where we just put it away. We knew we had a win, and uh, we went into the locker room happy. Um, it seems like it's a fight. But we got Shane Bieber on the mound tomorrow. It's a, Today, it's a 6-10 start um, today. And then we got a day game on Wednesday, a 1 o'clock game. And who's starting that one? Have they announced? It's going to be Eli Morgan. It's going to get another chance on Wednesday. Hopefully, a day game in Cleveland on Wednesday. It won't be a total ridiculous mess with the weather. Although, I believe they were calling for thunderstorms on Wednesday. I'm actually giving you the daily Cleveland weather forecast here. Uh, That's how much I care about you, Indians fans. Uh, Yeah, there's a 77% chance of rain on Wednesday, and thunderstorms are calling for possibly on Thursday. So uh, will Eli Morgan get a chance to pitch in normal weather, or will he have to deal with another crazy rain game, another crazy weather game? All right, that's all my thoughts. I got to get out of here. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The Indians and the White Sox split the doubleheader. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show. International listeners, email me. Shoot me an email, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your connection to Cleveland Indians baseball. I would love to hear your stories and tell your stories to the rest of our audience. Uh, also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.